Thank you, Lord. God is good, isn't he? He's good, even in snowstorms. He's good, and he is alive, isn't he? God is living. He is not a book. It's so hard uh, to get that concept, isn't it, from a worldly perspective, that he is living. He's the living word. It's not anything that you can even try to tell someone. It's just something you need to experience. We were just talking with someone the other day, and they said, you've read this verse a million times, and then you just suddenly read it, and all of a sudden, the verse just comes to life. You're all excited, and how does it do that? You know, we can't explain that in the natural. It's a spiritual thing. Amen. And uh, his word is here and alive right now, isn't it? It's speaking right now. His word is on the pages, yes, but he, the word, is here. And as we speak his word, we're actually identifying with Christ. We're actually linking with Christ right now. Just by speaking his word, by opening up his word and, and bringing it into just the air in this room, uh, we are telling Christ, you're welcome here. We want to we bring you into this room. We want to have an encounter with you. And that's the truth of his word. Amen. Uh, you can read in the Old Testament times when they would see, they'd have an encounter with God, right? And they would be in his presence. What did it cause them to do, right? Every single time they would, they couldn't even help it, but they would fall on their faces by the presence of God, wouldn't they? You know, and they would, they would get low and realize how unworthy they were because his word actually is, uh, opposite to our flesh, right? We are spirit and we are flesh, and his word is opposite. And it, it, it shines the light on what we didn't even know was there all along. That's why that happens. We suddenly are more aware of our humanity and simultaneously more aware of his holiness. And that's what we need. We need to live like that. I don't just want encounters with God. I want to live in an encounter with God. Amen. Um, so this is part four, actually, of what I started for 2022. And uh, the series has been is titled, In His Strength. So if you've been listening along, uh, part one, two, and three, what I've been talking about in this series so far is that uh, I started with the fact that we must become one, right? In John from 14 through 17, he's having this special encounter with the disciples, and we looked at John 17, we looked at John 15 in that time, and it talks about this oneness that we must have with Christ, the same oneness that even Jesus had with the Father, the same exact oneness, in fact. And, and we talked about how there's no way you could separate God the Father from God the Son, right? And in the same way, we cannot be separated from Christ, right? There is no separation. There is a unity and a oneness. It is literally one person. We want the world to see one. We want the world to look through us and see Christ. We want our brothers and sisters to see Christ in us. And, and as well, something we're going to get into today, and I've waited till part four because it's not the focus of what we are as Christians, but we're going to talk about today is we want the enemy to look and see Christ, Right, Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And then there was a time in the Bible where Paul was going around and doing miracles and, and praying and speaking in the name of Jesus, and suddenly these other guys thought, well, we can do this too. We'll just take this power of Jesus and we'll just speak it out. There must just be power in the name. And yes, it is a name, but I was at Lowe's last week and a Jesus helped me out, right? It says Jesus right on his name tag. So yes, it is a name. But the devil's not bowing its knee to, to this guy at, at Lowe's who was helping me. It's not just a name, but the name is who he is, right? So it's not just that we say the name of Jesus, right? But it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is within us, that when Satan looks and sees him in us, that he cowers. Amen. That's where we need to get to. So there's this oneness, and we talked in John 15 about the, the vine, abiding in the vine, and and depending on your translation, some say abide, some say stay, some say remain. It all talks about this same picture of a, this is where I live. This is my identity. This is, it is in Christ that I've become one, and everything that is in him now automatically flows through me, right? We don't have to try to produce fruit. Fruit comes out of a branch just by being connected to the tree. A branch doesn't have to try to be the tree, and a branch doesn't have to work hard to produce fruit. It's just connected to the tree, and so then the DNA of the tree comes naturally through the branch on its own, and you just stay put like the Lord tells us to, and God will do what he's going to do through you automatically. Amen. It also says in John 15 that I can do nothing without his strength. I want you to say that out loud again because that's been the focus of this series. I can do nothing without his strength. But Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do everything through his strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. Nothing apart from me. But then Philippians 4 says, you can do everything through me. You can do nothing without me. Nothing has meaning. Sure, you can do a lot of things, but you're just building sandcastles. And as the ocean returns, as it does at every tide, right, it just washes away all your hard work, all your struggles, all that labor. It's nothing, right? From dust to dust. We come from dust, we return to dust. Your name is, is a, is just becomes a memory all that you worked for. I mean, Solomon, he kind of went mad because he went away from the Lord a little bit, right? And he, so he writes down in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs, uh, especially Ecclesiastes, some of the heart things that, uh, some of the soul searching, and he's like, it's just meaningless. It's just all I see is that you work so hard and you pass it on to, your, to the, this next generation and they just squander it. And see, that without God, without the Lord, that's what we get. We just get this endless laboring and vanity of vanities, and it's just nothing. It's meaningless. We're doing all these things that kind of fill time and make us feel like we have meaning. But if it's not for the Lord, if it's not by his strength and for his glory, we've wasted our time. We've wasted a life, in fact. So... We need to get that. That's a pillar here that I've been building on is that it's nothing without him. But with him, we have everything. We have access, really. We have access to the Father. 
We have access, yes, to eternity. That's the thing that Christians major on. We have access to heaven now through Christ. But really, that's just one facet of what Jesus has done for us. It is not just a ticket to heaven, but we have been given access by our oneness, by remaining in that vine. Again, that DNA flowing through him. I'm talking fast because I want to just lay this groundwork. This is review. Everybody okay? And I want to get into where, I, where the Lord's bringing us for today. But what's happening is, is that by being connected to him, I have this incredible benefit of listening and hearing wisdom and knowledge that the world does not have. In fact, the Lord says, I don't do anything without first telling my prophets. See, there's a different place that the Christian has in this earth. We are no longer, we're in this earth, we're not of this earth any longer. We're not just here existing and filling time and filling space, but we have actually been welcomed into a kingdom, we've been welcomed into an army, and we have been given a commission. And there's a plan and a purpose that God is doing, even though the world doesn't acknowledge it. And even Christians kind of wonder, where's my place? What's my place? And yet, we must just know, I don't need to focus on all the details. I just need to focus on Christ. And suddenly, and we can testify about this, who has just looked to him and testified to him. And and you made your life one with him. And you're just going about your life. And he begins to shape and plan and purpose you. And you ended up in places you said you would never ago. You became roles that you said you would never be, right? Come on, we can testify about these things because we focus on him and he begins to, to, there is a plan and purpose in him. Amen. And that's where we need to live. This is a lifestyle. It is not just that we come to the cross when we realize that we're sinners and that, okay, man, I messed up. I need to go back to the cross, but we must live in Christ and Christ in us. And so last week we began to bring this home. I'm bringing this to a to a, a pinnacle here and building upon this. And we looked at how Paul uh, said uh, the Lord is dealing with him, and he's struggling, and he's saying, "Lord, I'm being I'm afflicted, and I've been praying, and the affliction's not going away." And I prayed three times, and it says in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse nine, that God said to Paul, "My grace is all you need." Now, we're going to look at grace much deeper today. Last week, we focused on this. He says, my power works best, or your translation might say, is perfected in weakness. And then he went on to say, he said, you know, I'm glad that I have weaknesses now. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that I even boast about my weaknesses now. Imagine boasting, right? That's not the world, is it? We talked about that. The world is so proud of their achievements, not too many people go around and boast about their weaknesses. And yet it is the way, it says that this is what happens. This is the way to, in fact, boast in your weaknesses because what happens is, is when I realize it's not me and it never was me and never will be me, something begins to happen supernaturally. My DNA, uh, something starts to shift inside me. There is, it starts to become a chemical, physical, spiritual reaction. And the power of Christ begins to come out and work through me. Because, see, and then we're going to talk about this again. This is where we're going to get to. If it's human, it has a breaking point. If it's human, it will fail. You just give it a matter of time. Some people, 
are very patient. Who's met a very per patient person and you're shocked by their patience? Who also knows very impatient people? Who knows people that just ha don't have very much patience at all? <laughs> I'm looking at Dawn because she knows it. She just has less patience. And some people have incredible patience. It's like, okay, this is ridiculous now. You can't be this patient. But I don't care how patient the most patient person is. Eventually, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Eventually, you will get to everyone. You're going to get under their skin. You're going to break. And so the point is that Paul just said, let's just get it over with and let's realize this. I'm going to fail. If I do it my way, and if I try to think that patience is from me, that it's my patience, eventually I'm going to offend everyone and hurt everyone. Let's just deal with this now. It's not me, Christ. You work your patience through me. Because my patience fails, but Christ was being laid down on a cross. They took the nails and pounded them into his hands and feet, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Christ's patience. We get cut off in traffic, and that's it. We want to run them off the road. Like, literally, for a second, you think, I hope they die. I mean, it's awful, but it comes into your mind. Maybe it's lightning, and then, you, you know, it's a really quick thought that you repent of, but that's how quick we become like the devil. And Christ is being nailed to a cross saying, Father, forgive them. And so that's why Paul said, you know what I realized? When I realized that I can't do it, I got excited because I have come into a relationship with the one who can. And I realized that if I just come to it, because as soon as I put up the barriers, I can do it. I'm Superman. I'm super Christian. When I, when I did that, what happened is I kept failing. Eventually, I hit the point where my prayers are just not punching through, and the Lord says, no, I want you to lean on me. It's not you, because the Bible actually tells us we don't have to be confused. It says, so that he didn't get puffed up. He had so much revelation. God had shown him so much. So much had happened, so many miracles, so that Paul didn't think it was him that did it. God allowed a situation so that he had to lean. He was required to lean on God's grace. You know, the whole world is desperate for God. They just don't know it. We get saved, and we realize what they don't know, and we pray that they would know what we know, right? But then as Christians, the devil comes into stage two. Stage one is just keep you deceived. Stage two is to try to get you to live some sort of a sub-Christianity. Now, there's all different facets of it. We're not going to focus on it. But one of those facets is this. It's to live in a Christianity where you think it's you, where you think it's your strength and your will. Somehow it's your willpower that you're going to resist, that you're going to do it. And it's very subtle. And I, honestly, I've said this to the Lord, and I've said it from the pulpit many times. You know, when you go through your word, the things that are right and the things that are wrong, so many of the issues are like splitting hairs. They're so subtle. It's, such a, it's so close to looking like it is me, it is God. There's things that are just where I'm relying on his strength, but then what you see, like we've been talking about this, and this is why I keep bringing this back up. You look at me, and it looks like I'm working hard. So the world says, wow, you work hard. The 
world says, wow, look at you. You've achieved so much because you're such a hard worker. And it's such a fine line because simultaneously we have to come to the revelation. I'm only working hard in response to what Christ did in me, A. And B, even if I wanted to respond to him, I don't have the ability. I have to borrow his oxygen. I borrowed his muscular structure that he formed out of the clay of the earth and put together. And in fact, I'm so incredibly grateful that I've got all my fingers and all my toes and both my eyes, I mean, and both my ears. And, and everybody in this room is like 99% there, right? I don't think I'm offending anyone. <laughs> but, but we could, I've been saying this recently, as soon as you think, man, it's not fair, so-and-so has this and they've got this and they're so blessed and look at them and look at them. You know what we should say? Lord, it's not fair that I'm able to walk around on my two feet while someone else has to wheel around. As soon as we think it's in our strength, we've missed it. Every single thing we have is a gift from God. Everything that we have is a blessing from God. Every single breath is from Him. That means that even when I do achieve, and it looks like I'm doing it, and it looks like I'm working hard, and it looks like I'm successful to the world's eyes, we have to come to the revelation that I can take, ready for this? Zero credit. Not partial, not like we're sharing. You know, it's him, but it's also me too. If you think that, we need to come to the place where Paul came to and, and let the Lord. In fact, I said it, I kind of humbled myself and told you, I said to the Lord once about that, and I feel like the Lord definitely humbled me when I thought, well, it's him, but it's also me. I'm working with him. We're together, you know, I'm responding to it. The Lord gives you that lesson if that's what needs be. I pray you don't go through that. We're all laughing because some of us have been there. And finally, you know what he says in Isaiah 40 is he says he gives power to the weak and he gives strength to the powerless and he gives us new strength, it says. See, our strength and our power is limited, but this is what I want to focus on today. You ready for this? Our power in Jesus is unlimited. Limit. List. I want you to say that out loud. Limit list. I am, ready for this? I am limited, but he is unlimited. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to look at some things in Ephesians here. We're going to look at three chunks of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is praying for the church there in Ephesus, and he says, and, and the Lord is praying for us today. Jesus had him pen these words down so that they could be saved for eternity so that it's not just the church of Ephesus, but this church right here in Wappingers, you and I, right here. Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is praying these words. His word is, is alive today, right here. It's just as relevant. And he says, I pray that NNC, I pray that you sitting here, you, uh, you have to get it. In fact, I can, see Paul's, uh, I can see Paul sweating as he's writing this down. He's like, Lord, I don't even have the words to describe what I'm trying to get to. I can't even put it into human words, what I want your church to get, that there is this incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. There's an incredible greatness. I want to look at here in the Amplified. 
Actually, it's called the Amp C now. Did you know that? Did you know the Amplified is called the Amplified Classic? That's the one that Dan reads because there's a new, more modern Amplified. So the Amplified and the Amplified Classic. So the Amplified Classic, Ephesians 1, verse 19, says this. And it says, And so that you can know and understand, well, let's read that word out, out loud, the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in, that's, I think that's a key here that the MFI does here, it's in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength. There is incredible, unlimited, immeasurable power for us who believe him. And we know, we've already preached those sermons many times, belief is not, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, that's right, I've been to a church once. What it's talking here when it says this word believe, it's the, it's the uh, Greek word, which is P-I-S-T-I, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis of some sort, pistis, I don't know, however you pronounce it, right? But it is a Greek word meaning like a practice of belief. It's an action word, actually. It's not just a thought. It's not something that you can just say, but it's something we work out. It's that when I have decided to believe, and you know how we know who you believe? What does the Bible tell us? How do you know you believe? That's right. The Word actually gives us the definition. Don't you love that people are trying to define God? They try to define words like love. And then you have all these signs now, right, with the definitions are getting even bigger. But I can go right to my word. You know what the Bible says love is? Love is laying your life down. The greatest love. So the epitome of love is it's simple. The Bible gives me the definition. Laying your life down for another. That's the definition of love. And in the same way, the Bible says, how do I know I believe? I obey. The Bible defines itself, gives a definition of its own words. They're all in there. The word is so alive. Everything that we need to know is in there. And when people say, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't get it, you know what you find? When you go to their house and ask them to find their Bible, they have to go searching for it. Right? The same people. That's, I was just talking to, to someone recently, and uh, they were having a Bible conversation an argument of sorts with someone who's arguing the Bible, and they had to go and find the Bible. They lost it. You know what that shows us? It shows us that we have all kinds of opinions and thoughts, but it's not based on the Word of God. It's based on the idea of the Word of God, the idea of God. We say, oh, God, we say things like this, God wouldn't do that. God's not like that. But we must define God and define his words, define his word and his words by his word. Amen. And so the Bible says of itself that when you get to the place where you are walking with Christ, where he is in you and I'm in, you know, I'm in him and he's in me, and there's this, this action where I'm reading his word, I'm responding to it by his own prompting, right? I'm responding to his word, and I'm letting him do something supernatural in me. The Bible says this power begins to flow in me and out of me that is beyond me. Amen. And the reason I didn't just come out and preach this 
four weeks ago is because I don't want us to be focused on the power of God and then where I'm going to go for these next couple minutes against our enemy as part of that power, because that's why we have power. Why would you need power? Why do you think you need power? Why does an airplane need power? Because it's fighting against gravity and friction, right? Against forces. There are forces. So if there was, if there was no resistance, it wouldn't need power. It needs power because it needs to push past the resistance. Amen. So the reason you have power is so that the resistance that is coming at you constantly cannot uh, overcome you, uh, but you overcome it. Amen. And so we have this incredible power, but it only comes, this is why it's three weeks, through a oneness and a communion and a unity. We cannot just come out like the sons of Sceva and just say in the name of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. But we must come to the place where they said, the demons literally said to them, we know Paul. I know the guy <laughs> that you got his name from. We're aware of him too. We're aware of Jesus, the name you're saying, and I'm aware of Paul. But I don't know who you are. I don't know who you think you are talking to us like that. I'm not tr creating any fear or hysteria. This is the reality, though, of the world that we are in. This is a, we are spiritual beings that are temporarily trapped in a physical world. This is the curse. You realize that. You realize that your physical body is a curse. Now, does Christ redeem it, and has he redeemed it, and he's outside of time? And in Colossians chapter 3, I'm already seated in him, present tense. Your mind just doesn't understand that because we live in three dimension, you know, four dimensions. But outside of that, where he lives, unlimited dimensions, even scientists are saying, oh, 30 dimensions. I don't think there's any dimensions in God. I think it's just unlimited, like he says of himself which means we're just never going to understand it here in the earth. How can I be alive in Christ, but also in this body? How can I be already dead and resurrected, but I'm living here in this body? And so you must realize that in, in the temporary world you are in, you are trapped within a physical body, and that's why we don't just need Christ for eternity. We need him right now. And who's aware of that? Who becomes aware of that when you get into a situation that suddenly your strength you realize the weakness, and you realize your frailty. Then we realize, but we must realize it when we don't feel it. When we feel strong physically and mentally and even spiritually, we must realize that we are weak and in need of him, and that our strength is only through him. So it, begun, it goes on to say here, his mighty strength. In chapter 6, he brings it from chapter 1 to the final chapter, and I'm not going to do a big uh, teaching on chapter 6. We could. I have a book that's literally this thick. It is literally thicker than the Bible. I have it at home that I got for as a present some years ago. It is the tiniest writing you've ever seen, and it is thicker than the Bible itself, and it's just on this one chunk of Scripture, Ephesians 6. So I'm not going to spend the time teaching that you could. I just want to reference this. Ephesians 6 says in verse 10, a final word. Everybody say a final word. So in chapter 1, as I would write a letter or I would talk to you, I'd do some intros, and then I would come to a final, right? I'd start the conversation, let's sum things up, and let's end some things here. So this is not all he's talking about in Ephesians, but one of the things he wants to reiterate, everybody say reiterate, 
One of the things he wants to finalize and now bring it to a greater fullness, even to a deeper depth. In Ephesians 6, he says, a final word, be strong. Let's just read this out loud. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You may know it as in the power of his might, right? But it is that we must be strong in him and in his mighty power. Now, if I'm seated with Christ and I'm in heaven, why do I need to be strong? Why do I need his mighty power? What is he telling us here in Ephesians? He's telling us, yes, your eternity is secure, you're seated in Christ, but, but you are still living in a physical world, and there is an enemy who hates you. Now, you don't need to worry about him as long as you do what I'm telling you, which is stay in Christ. The devil is no match for Christ. I want you to say it out loud because I want your mind to hear what your spirit knows. The devil is no match for Christ. That means that I want to be with Christ. You ever seen those uh, wrestling matches, tag team, right? Who would want your partner to be Jesus if the devil was in the ring with you? When it's time for me to feel like my strength is ending, I want to tag Jesus. I don't want me. And I don't want even another Christian, strong Christian. This is why, this is the picture, like, we need to be the body, but it is Christ. Even a pastor, you need to, you can look at a pastor, but you need to have your identity even deeper and beyond even the pastor or whatever leader you look to. It's got to be Christ. I hope you wouldn't pick me. Well, Adam, you know, he's, he says some things and knows some things that I don't sometimes. And listen, this is, that's not enough. You need, you, it, that's fine. I'm a cheerleader on the side of your game here, okay? I'm just cheering you along. But it is, must be that you and Christ are one. It's not, my identity is just not just an NNC and Adam's my pastor, but it is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Because the devil, if it's flesh, will beat you. That's why I rely on Christ. He's my tag team. And so it says, uh, basically this, the way I want to say it in my own words, find, Ephesians 6.10, find your strength in him and be empowered by his power. Be empowered by his power, right? I trade my weakness for his strength. And then it says something here in verse 11, which is very significant. The Bible does not say what it says by accident, and there is no useless words in the Bible. It all is for a reason. And he begins to use this language here. It says to put on. Everybody say put on. Right? So there's this action now of putting on all of God's armor. So that, why? You will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. This is the reality. And I, if I was to start preaching this again, I would still spend three weeks talking about the whole focus is to be one with Christ because of him. That I want to know him for him, right? I don't want to know him for his benefits and him for his blessings and him for his protection. I want to know Christ for Christ. But... Comma, because, but I'm not a fool in thinking that I don't also come to him and know that I will not survive without him. 
This is why I've said it before. I'll say it again. When I'm leading someone to the Lord, I don't scare them with hell and with sin. But if they're very stubborn, <laughs> they're very stiff-necked in our conversation, right? Well, I'm talking about the love of Christ. I want to talk about his love and his grace and his mercy. But I have before and I will again absolutely bring up sin and hell because that's the reality. I'd be a fool and their blood would be on my hands, the word says, if I don't tell them the truth. We can see that in the word, right? Jesus meets with the prostitute, but she is not stubborn. She's not hard. He tells her, sin no more. Right? They're like, you're sitting and eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. How can you do that? Because they were hungry. Meanwhile, with the religious, here is the word of God, the scriptures. He said, you search the scriptures, John 6. He says, you're searching the scriptures looking for an answer, but I'm standing right here in front of you. And so for them, he says, you brood of vipers, you sons of the devil. So I don't want the focus to be the enemy and to be the devil and to be hell. But it is a reality. Okay, can we say that? It's a reality. Our focus is to want to know Christ just because I want to know him. When I get up each morning, I don't want to think, Lord, I need you because I'm not going to survive today without you. I want to seek him just because I want to love him and I want him to love me. And then you know what happens? If I'm in the vine and I'm abiding in him, he's, care he's a caretaker over me. He's watching over that tree. He's watching over those branches. He wants the fruit to come out of you more than you want the fruit to come out of you. So if my focus is him, then he's also going to protect me without me even thinking about being needed to be, to be protected. That's a mouthful. But I want us to be aware of it because Paul... James and Peter, hopefully for time, I may blip on it today, I may not, because it's already, uh, time is going fast as always, but Paul, Peter, and James all talk about us not being caught unaware and to be alert. Even Jesus spends a lot of time saying, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be caught unaware. I want you to be alert. I need you guys to, to get some things that I'm going to come like the thief in the night. Now, we have this amazing relationship, and you're here with me, and we're walking together. But I also need you to realize that even the elect one day will be deceived. All right, we're not going to focus on that. That's not our focus here. But I'm just saying some things that are kind of building into the whole sermon as a whole. He says something very significant here in Ephesians 6, he says, to put on all of God's armor. And so there is an action, and it's so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, for we are not fighting. The Bible says, for we are not fighting. The Bible doesn't say we are not fighting a fight. It just defines who our fight is with. I want you to hear that again. The Bible does not say you are not in a fight because you know Christ. But the Bible defines who your fight is with. And this is why I'm still learning. I will learn this, I'm sure, to my last breath. But I'm going to say it to you anyway. This is why the people in front of you, the people that you're having the argument with, they are not your enemy. It is not people. It is the devil who has put a deceptive thought in their mind right, that they deserve something more than you, for instance. It's a lie that's taken root in them, and now suddenly the person is yelling at you, so you feel like I need to yell back at them, but it's not them. It's the devil. And that's what my word says. So in order to be able to deal with that 
thing, right, to deal with that person. I need to be like Christ so that I can handle this situation and realize that I'm going to deal with the enemy, but I'm going to also be tactful with the person. Amen. Who has seen uh, many people... Man, it's so unfair. I'm going to say something. It's not fair, but it is a reality. If you are a devout Christian and the moment you slip up, the non-Christians around you who live like hell, let's just be honest, that's not a swear word. They literally live like hell itself. They have no regard for anything or anybody ever. And yet the moment you slip up, it's not very Christian-like of you. Suddenly, they remember the word Christian, check. They remember that you're a Christian, check. All of a sudden, you're a Christian, and you're not acting very Christian. Isn't that funny? Now, it's not fair, but it is a reality that we should be aware of, that the world is watching, and that we must be Christ-like, because the enemy is using a person in between he has literally taken, who's ever seen, you know, any action movie you can think of, right? One of the tactics they do, maybe it's just the movies, is if I've got no cover, what do I do? I'm going to use a dead body, right? Or an innocent bystander, right? I'm going to put them in front of me to be able to take the brunt, even though it's really me that you're fighting with. This person's taking the brunt of all <laughs> of the anger that you're sending back in my way. And that's what the devil does. And that's why we must put on Christ's armor. Now, this is what I want to just talk for these next, just these few extra minutes here, is that putting on means putting off. I want you to say that out loud. Putting on actually means putting off. I'm going to get to it. No, I'm not going to leave you hanging there. I have no idea what he's talking about. Because it says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities, your translation might say some different types of definitions, but the point is that there are enemies that are in the seen and unseen. They're working amongst right, the ranks of the kingdoms of, of, uh, of darkness, and they're in heavenly places, and there's all layers and realms of them. But the point is that they're your enemy, but I have Christ again. So it says, verse 13, so therefore, everybody say, therefore, Old Christian joke, it's there for a reason. Whenever you see the Bible say therefore, it's there for a reason. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, so there will be a battle. Everybody say there will be a battle. That's a fact, right? There will be a battle. But after the battle, we'll be standing firm. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, gives us the bridge between Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 6. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 21, Since you have heard about Jesus... And have learned the truth that comes from him. Now, this is very key. Because in Ephesians 1, he was talking about, Lord, give them the revelation. I pray that you have a revelation. I say that all the time, don't I? Come on, if, if, if you leave this 
room, if you had to say one thing about Pastor Adam, what I hope you'd say is he's talking about having a revelation a lot. Because I am convinced that that's the key. The difference between the people that got it and the people that didn't, right, in the Bible times. Literally, Jesus is standing in the flesh. I'm not talking about a good preacher preaching a good sermon and one person believes him and one doesn't. I mean Jesus, the Son of God, stood there in the flesh, and one group of people missed him, and one group of people received him. And it's purely because their eyes, the Bible says, eyes to see and ears to hear. You'll hear me pray that during prayer. It's a, a mind change, a renewal of the mind and eyes and ears, and suddenly, right, even blind Bartimaeus, right, he was blind, but he could see. And meanwhile, the Pharisees and Sadducees were, could see in the natural, but they were blind. Amen. And so the point is that uh, we, there is uh, this revelation that must happen in us, and he's praying for that in Ephesians 1, and then in Ephesians 4, he's saying, okay, you've received the revelation, you've heard about him, and you've learned the truth, you've encountered it, and this is what you must do. There, You must throw off, everybody say, throw off, or to shed, right? I preached a sermon one time, it's like a snake that sheds its skin, right? Dead, old, dry, dirty skin, for nice, fresh, clean, new skin, right? Thank God. A lot of women would love, they don't necessarily want the serpent picture, but they would love if they could just go to sleep at night and shed it off and have nice, fresh, clean, 20-year-old skin again, right? So the skin must come off, the old nature, throw it off. Throw off your old, sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted, by lust and deception. And verse 23 says, instead, everybody say instead. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a contrast. See, we face the devil in the flesh as non-Christians, and then when we get saved, we've come to a revelation, but there's still something that must happen. Even though we've come to Christ, there's still something that we must do now. And now again, I'll re reiterate again, you can't do it in your strength. I can only do it by just looking to him and trusting in him and believing his word. All right, Lord, I believe your word. I certainly want to respond to this person in my flesh right now, but I'm going to believe that you said, love my enemies, pray for them, pray for those who spitefully use me. Lord, that doesn't make sense and certainly doesn't feel good, but I'm going to do it anyway because I believe your word. And what begins to happen is there's an exchange, an exchange of your nature for his nature. And so what happens is, is suddenly, listen, this is the only way that the enemy can get in to a Christian's life is if you open the door. And I want to say that again. This is such a key. The devil's been locked out. There's only one door. Jesus was invited in, and the door was closed. The only way he gets in again is if you let him in. And you know how we let him in? We let him in, it's very simple, by acting, talking, etc., like Satan. As soon as we do that, it's like a bell going off. Ding, 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 ding. The door is cracked. The door is open again. As soon as we decide, I'm going to take this situation into my hands, and I'm going to handle it. See, we think of sin as like big, giant sins, but sin is not just big, giant, deep sins. And, and, the, and the Lord does not 
want us to be aware of sin so that we'd be condemned, but so that we'd be aware of the tactics of the enemy. God's grace and mercy is there for us, but the enemy is not so gracious to us, is he? And the moment we come into a situation with people or with a mindset, etc., you're dealing with it in your body, soul, your spirit, you're dealing with something going on in your life, the thing the devil wants you to do is act like him. And it's so subtle, but it's literally just responding to the situation in a flesh way. And the Bible says that we must put on, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature. Now I'm connecting Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 6 together to put on. When I put on my word, I'm taking the action. Now, people used to do all these interesting kind of religious things, which I'm not opposed to, but they would get up in the morning and they'd say, I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation, right? I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness and pray it out. It's not just a prayer. That's fine that you want to pray it out. That's fine. But this is how we act it out. Somebody says something against you, and I bring out my sword, and instead of striking them with the flesh, I respond in love. All right, I can pray, Lord, put on the armor in the morning all I want, but until I realize the devil's going to come, he's going to mess with you, and he's going to be like, oh, you know, this, this, and that, and affect your... Lord, I'm saved by grace and by grace alone, by your blood. Okay, there's my helmet. Enemies throwing darts at you, and you say, well, I can't do it. Faith comes up. Not just a prayer, but it's an action where I say, you know what? You're going to throw your darts at me, but I've already come to the place where I realize I can't do it, so my faith is in Christ, and I know that you're going to set in my way, but if God doesn't save me, then I'm a goner. That's the putting on the armor. And what happens is, is the armor, the head that used to be here, the one that controlled you, is off, and his is on. Right, my shields that I would put up. You're not going to say, you think you're going to talk to me like that? That's my shield. Right, my daggers. I had my sword. Oh, believe me, right, we're good at cutting, right? Isn't it crazy how hard we can cut? Like one little word in the cuts for years. Imagine letting the word of God cut. If my word will cut for years, imagine what his word does that we're not even aware of. Now, if someone says something to you and you quote back a scripture to them, that's not what I mean. You need to live that scripture. And they may not show any effect whatsoever, right? They may look at you exactly the same, even more hatred and more anger, because it's the devil behind them. It's not the person. That situation may not change because it's not the situation. There's an enemy behind it, but God is working in your life. Amen. Amen. We could get into it more and deeper. We will again next time, but we'll stop right there and we'll just say, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we lean into you. We grab a hold, Lord, of your garment, the hem of your garment, Lord Jesus, that I'm desperate for you and you alone. There is no other way. There is no other answer. We cannot make it in this world. We cannot face the enemies. Lord, there is no hope but in you, Lord Jesus, but in you armored in your word when we believe your word lord and live your word i thank you the enemy cannot touch your word it is 
impenetrable. It is unlimited. It is immeasurable. And Lord, I pray we'd have a revelation of who you are in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.